Castaway Show with Dave Dolan. Hello, Anza. You're tuned in to 96.3 KOIT Coyote Radio. This is your local Anza radio station, and I'm here to give you the latest on fishing reports and information. My name is Dave Dolan, and I'm here with the Castaway Show. Tonight's show, we're going to talk a little about fishing, where they're biting, where you can go, have some boating and fishing tips, and um, I'm even going to throw in a recipe for you, too. I'd like to hear from you out there. You can contact us at programming at 963koit.org. We'd like to hear from you if there's anything you'd like to ask, any questions you have. If you'd like to have a fishing story to share, you can even come in and do that. Or if there's a topic you would like me to cover, contact us at that website. Also, you can contact us here at 763-KOYT. That's 763-5698. So, love to hear from you out there and have your input for the show. So, stay tuned for tonight's show. And a little hint, tonight we're going to hoop it up. So, stay tuned for this edition of the Castaway Show. Well, everyone, I'd like to go into my fishing reports right now. As you know, the last several shows, we've been talking about how much rain we've had and how much snow and water there's going to be. Well, just as a special bonus, just this last week, I was at an outdoor show, and I had an opportunity to talk to a lot of outfitters from, from different areas. One I talked to that was very interesting is I talked to a representative from Mammoth Mountain. Talked to him a little bit about the snow conditions up there, the what the fishing outlook is going to be like. It's just amazing. This season, if they have only, well, I say only, 130 inches more snow, which is just over 10 feet, but considering how much they've had so far this season, that, doesn't, that may not be that much more. But if they have 130 inches more snow, they will break the all-time record ever for snow accumulation at Mammoth Mountain. It's just really amazing because they've got right about 44 feet of snow on the ground right now. But what that's going to do for the uh, local fishing and conditions up there, I asked him about the, um, the Mammoth Lakes Basin. That's one area I just really love to go to above Mammoth Lakes. You've got a, a road loop up there. You have five roadside lakes, beautiful fishing, great access to them. He said they're hoping to have that road open about the third week of June. Now, there's been times I've been up there in May and you can drive these roads, but that just tells you the incredible amount of snow that they have up there. So, um, also, what it's also done is there's been so much runoff right now that there's a uh, trout tournament they hold down in Bishop, just downstream from, from uh, Mammoth. They've had to cancel that tournament. The water is running so high there right now that, well, this ter- tournament is primarily for kids, but the water is running so high that they just consider it to be dangerous to even fish there right now. All it would take is, you know, a kid falling into that cold water, and it would not be a very good outcome to that. So, um, but anyhow, once again, that's going to mean a really good fishing season once, you know, conditions get right for it. But there will be a lot, incredible amount of water runoff up there when the snow does start melting, which means everything will be running high and fast. Maybe the water get a little murky. So, Actually, considering their season won't even start, be able to get to these lakes until the, the third week of June, that also means that um, it may be a few weeks after that before things settle down to make the, everything fishable. One bonus out of this, though, is that Mammoth Mountain is already committed to staying open for downhill snow skiing 
until July 4th. But the, word, the rumors are out that depending on the number of people going skiing, they may stay open for skiing until the 1st of August. That's just incredible. So anyhow, also on your rivers on the Sierras on the west side, the American River, the Feather, Sacramento River, they're all still running incredibly high, and they're basically, they're unfishable, but just think of the benefit of that, of all that water we're going to have later in the season and all the benefits we have for the wildlife and fishing. On the local front, we've actually got some pretty good news here. Did you notice, well, we did have that big torrential downpour a week ago, but last few days have been pretty nice. Days are warming up a little bit. The days are also getting longer, and I'm actually feeling a little bit of springtime in the air out there. So that has also had a benefit on the fishing out there. We'll start off with Diamond Valley Lake. This last week, they've had a trout plant of 3,500 pounds. Now, that's a lot of trout, and they do report they've been having quick limits on the trout fishing down there. Right around the marina and shoreline, they're doing real well on the trout. Also, the uh, little bit warmer water is perking up the striped bass. They've caught them between 8 and 13 pounds. And we do know the striped bass like to eat those trout, so that's got them pretty active. Also, another good bright spot on the local scene is uh, Lake Skinner. The, the uh, striped bass bite is going very good there right now. They're moving up into shallower water. They're not quite so deep. They were driven down a little deeper in the storms. But striped bass fishing is rated as very good there right now. They have a trout plant scheduled for March the 8th, and that's good for the trout fishing and good for keeping those striped bass, get them going too. So things are really on the upswing there right now. They're also starting to catch catfish on your chicken livers and anchovies, so you got those bottom fish kicking in there too. Also then at uh, Lake Paris, the bass fishing there is definitely on the uptick. They've had an 11-pound bass was caught there just this last week. Then, also in the report, I've got Lake Elsinore in there. You know, if you've driven by Lake Elsinore over the last few years, it's, it hasn't looked very good down there. The water level has been very low. It's so low. Later in the summer, the water gets warm. It kind of turns greenish. Well, that's all changed around. I drove by it last week, and water is already up into the flood control channel there. That's a really good sign for all the water recreation there is down there. And with the higher water, they have uh, started stocking bluegill and crappie. So that's another good option we have for, for the freshwater fishing. And we also have down the hill the other side towards the desert side. Lake Coia is still on about an every other week plant for their trout fishing. So that may not go on a whole lot longer once it warms up, but that's another good option that we have. On the saltwater scene... The uh, local boats out of the San Diego, Mission Bay, Dana Point, Oceanside landings, they've been reporting pretty good fishing on the sculpin. Now, remember, I talked about sculpin before. These are really tasty fish, really incredible. They make really good fish tacos and all, but remember, they call these fish scorpions and rattlesnakes. The fins on these fish are poisonous. You know, it won't kill you, but if you get stuck in the hand by one of these, you know, if you get you know, a um, fin in the fi in your finger, you may feel like you want to cut your finger off. It'll hurt so bad. One cure on that is, they say, to get a cup of very, very hot coffee, as hot as you can stand, stick your finger in that. That tends to draw the poisons out. So, you know, this isn't something that's going to be fatal, but it can be pretty uncomfortable. 
The best bet on that is if you're on a sport boat and you catch one of these sculpin, just let the deck hands know and let them handle it. They can cut the fins off, then you can enjoy the fish without that danger of getting stuck with one of their fins. Also, on the uh, local scenes, on March 1st, the rock cod season rock cod fishing season opened up. So with that, there's just a lot more interest in people going out fishing. There'll be more boats out there, get a lot better coverage and a lot more options on what you can catch. So we do have our local options here. Things are definitely on the upswing locally on the freshwater fishing. The saltwater fishing, I'm sure, will start on the uptick too. So let's just hang in there. Spring is here and things are only going to get better. Well, everybody, at the start of the show tonight, I said we're going to hoop it up a little bit here, and that's just what I'm going to talk about tonight. Going to change gears a little bit, and on this show, I want to talk about hooping for lobster, hooping it up. Now, this is just really a nice change of pace. It's a whole lot of family fun, and actually, the season on this ends the middle of this month of March, so I'm kind of looking at things in retrospect. The lobster season opens up, it's about the third week of October and runs the winter months, so it gives us a real good option of something to do during the months when the other fishing may be kind of slow. Now, you have some options on how to do this. You can either go out on a boat, your own private boat, and I do know that the local sport fishing landings, they'll use their sport boats to go out and do these, the uh, lobster hooping. I do know guys that go out on kayaks and do this, Personally, I would not recommend this. It's a little bit eerie because you're doing this at nighttime, and um, I don't know, I just a little bit got some qualms about going out on a uh, kayak alone at night, but if you're an experienced kayaker, kayaker and you follow safety procedures, that's okay too because they do get them that way. You can also do this um, lobster hooping off a pier by dropping your hoops down off a, off a local pier. I gotta tell you, some of the most fun I've had, one of my sons, just really loves this lobster hooping. And we've just had some of the greatest nights, just he and I out there on my boat. You go out, now this is a nighttime fisher, fishery. You go out after dark. And um, we've been lucky enough to have some nice, pleasant evenings. You go out there, just the two of us. We do it on San Diego Bay. You see the lights of the city and it's just such a relaxing way to, to go out and spend an evening, just father and son. Really nice thing about it, he really likes to pull up the traps. And that's a lot of work. and. Uh, Glad that he likes to do it. Now, the time you want to go out lobster fishing, well, maybe where you want to go out lobster fishing, talk about that first, is um, there's two of the main areas in Southern California. The number one spot has consistently been Catalina Island. Now, there are some private outfitters that go out there, and it is a little bit pricey, but it's generally limit fishing on the lobsters out there. And I want to throw in there also that a limit on lobster is seven per person. But a really good option you have is right in San Diego Bay. That's where I've done all of mine. It's really nice because being inside of the bay, you know, you're in a protected area. It's not like going out on the open ocean. So um, San Diego Bay, as amazing as it is, you think of it, well, it's a busy commercial harbor and all that. But at times, it has been the top lobster producing place in the whole state of California. So I do know also they'll get them off of... Um, Dana Point off the jetty there, also inside the Long Beach Harbor. They do some lobster hooping there. But um, the ones I'm most familiar with would be uh, San Diego Bay, and I do know the guys that go out to Catalina Island too. Now, 
If you've seen lobster before, well, probably have, you probably picture the big lobster that have big claws on them. Well, those are the Maine lobster from the state of Maine. Those are not what we get here. What we have here in California are the California spiny lobster. Those lobster have no claws on them. But the California spiny, my opinion, is they are the better tasting of the two. Just to give you an example though, of how prized the California lobster are, I've gone into local places to buy live lobsters in the San Diego area. I've seen live Maine lobster for $14.95 a pound. Well, the local California lobster were double that. They were $29.95 a pound. So that tells you that, um, well, it tells me that the demand for the California spiny lobster is up maybe higher than the main lobster because people just like the way they taste. And I do know that there's a big uh, market for our California spiny lobster sent overseas. So if you get some of these, they're really a prize dinner you can get there. Now, um, as I said, the California spiny lobster don't have claws, so they don't have anything to protect themselves. So when you're thinking about when you want to go out lobster hooping, you got to think about this. The lobsters, they really have no protection, so do you think they want to go out on a bright full moon night where the water's nice and calm and clear, where they can be seen real easy? Well, probably not. They're smarter than that. The best time to go out lobster hooping is on a dark, dark of the moon night where there's minimal light out. And it's also really good to go out after a rain because rain is going to wash water into the, uh, into the bays or wherever you're, fish, you're lobster hooping. And the visibility in the water is not going to be all that great. So those are, that would probably be your prime time to go out. But my suggestion would always be go out when you can and have a good time. Now, uh, talk a little bit about the equipment that you're going to need for lobster hooping. I don't know if you've ever seen a lobster hoop, but what these are, they're a, a round frame, probably I think about 30 inches in diameter. There's a, a frame sides to it, then there's a smaller round opening on the top of it, and then all around the sides and the bottom, it's a net. So basically, these hoops are going down, you're putting bait in the hoop, and the lobsters are crawling up into the lobster hoop and falling inside and having a meal there. So basically, that's what the hoops are. The other equipment you're going to need is rope, the ropes you have to drop the hoops down. I generally don't like to fish the real deep water. It's too much work to bring them up. And I do know guys that fish in several hundred feet of water, but they have the mechanical devices to bring up the hoops. So also then you're going to need to have a couple of these styrofoam floats. Those go, the, uh, the rope threads through your float and that's what identifies the location where your hoop is. You'll want to put some reflective tape on there. I like to kind of color code mine, maybe like yellow with black stripes on it, just for identification because you are going to have other people out there too. Then you're going to want to have your light sticks. That's sure going to help you a lot on finding those uh, floats once you're done. Uh, once again, I like to use maybe color-specific ones, a certain color, so I can identify mine from maybe somebody else's light sticks that are out there. You'll want to have a headlamp on. 
I can tell you that when you're out lobster hooping, your hands are going to be busy and you're not going to be able to hold a flashlight where you're doing all of this. You will need a good flashlight for finding your floats, just for spotting them out. But once you've spotted them out, believe me, you're going to be real busy handling the boat, pulling up traps and everything. So you'll want to have a good headlamp so that wherever you're looking, you can um, see wherever you're looking at. You'll also want to have a good pair of gloves. The gloves, well, you'll want them for pulling up on the ropes, just for good hand protection there, keep from getting your hands too raw. You'll also want to have those probably midway up your forearm. You'll need protection from these lobsters. I found that out myself one time. I just had the uh, gloves that just went up to my wrist. Well, when you catch these lobsters and you pull them up, they like to flap their tail, and they have spiny little spikes on their, on their tails. And I still have some marks on my forearm from, uh, well, where I learned my lesson. So I now use the long gloves that go midway up my arm. You'll also have a uh, bait trap you'll put in these lobster hoops. These are made out of, um, some of them are just little um, wire cages, but what has happened with those is you're going to have sea lions out there, and they've found a way to get into these um, bait traps and steal your bait. So what a lot of us are doing now, we use the large PVC traps. They're like three inch diameter PVC, a cap on the end, you fill it full, you full of your bait, you have holes drilled inside of it to let the, um, the smell of the bait get out, and then a um, threaded cap on the end of it for loading up your bait. You um, have a way of clipping these, these into the bottom of your trap, and they are a whole lot more seal-proof than what, um, what the uh, bait cages are. Now, when you talk about the bait that you want to put in these lobster traps, this is where it gets a little bit yucky. <laughs> The best bait is going to be your bloodiest bait, smelliest stuff you can find. Anchovies work real good. Skipjack tuna work real good. They're a real bloody, bloody bait. What you want to do with these is cut them up as small as you can. And once you put it inside that bait trap, you want to have something to squish them. You want that juice running out. Also, another bait that works really good would be uh, salmon heads. That gives, that's a real oily bait that works well. If you don't have any of these baits, what also works good is get canned cat food. You want to get the canned cat food and poke some holes in the top of it, then find a way to secure, well, secure that inside of your bait trap. And um, those lobsters sure like the uh, cat food because you know that is smelly. If you don't have access to any of those, just use some cut up chicken. That's not your bait of choice, but if that's all you have, that works too. You want to go out and find your spots to drop your lobster traps. Inside of San Diego Bay, you know, especially on the weekend, you'll have a lot of other people out there because um, everybody wants to get on their spot. They have them all marked in with their GPS coordinates. And I found that lobster hoopers, they're almost like deer hunters. Once they have a spot, they don't talk about them. They won't share them with you. They want to keep their spot. So... Um, you know, just try to find something that's not too close to other people. And if you spend your time out there, you'll find your own spot. And if you got good bait, the lobsters will find you too. Also, one other thing that you can have a maximum of 10 traps on your boat. Now, if it's just you and a buddy out there on a smaller boat, 10 are going to be more than enough. In fact, 10 are way too many for my boat. So we go out with maybe four, five at the very most. But if you're even out on a big sport boat with 10 other people, the maximum is 10 traps on that boat. So that's your limit on what you can take out there with you. 
After you've gone out, set your traps, the way you usually do it is you drop them off in a sequence in a certain area, depending on how many traps you have, and you want to let those traps sit there for a little while to attract the lobster in. But what I find is, like when I'm out there with my son, once we've set the five traps, we just make a leisurely circle around, and usually that's enough time to have these traps set where you can start pulling up your first trap, and hopefully you got some lobster in it. You want to have somebody that likes to pull rope up. And fortunately, my son does because it would get kind of old for me. But uh, it can make it a lot of fun because you never know what's going to come up. If you do go down deeper, there are commercial-grade power pullers you can pull them up. But um, to me, if, if you're out there in super deep water and you're hooking a machine to bring them up, that kind of, I don't know, takes the fun out of it a little bit. So I also want to talk about what you might bring up when you pull up these lobster traps. Another prize that you will get out there is you will pull up crabs. And a lot of people prefer these Dungeness crab to lobster. So you'll have crab and lobster. We've also had fish go in there. We've pulled sculpin up. Once again, be careful on that. And um, we've also pulled up some angry, moder um, angry eels. Um, well, you got to watch out what you bring up off the bottom because it can... Um, get a little exciting, especially if you bring up an eel that's not too happy. So anyhow, basically that's how you do your lobster hooping. You'll learn a lot better techniques once you've done it more, and there are also some really good uh, books on how to do it. But as far as just a good, fun way to spend some family time out there, I'd say, you know, try lobster hooping. One thing I want to stress on um, well, this should have been under the equipment, is it's mandatory, and if you get caught without one, you will be fined. You have to use a lobster gauge to make sure that you don't get anything small. These gauges are just small metal gauges. They have cutouts on them, and you put these across the lobster, the capris, the shelled lobster. They've got to be of legal size. I think it's like three and an eighth inches long, but that's on the, uh, the gauge. You put that gauge on the lobster, and... If it's undersized, don't mess around with it. Throw it back. I can't stress that enough. I can tell you right now, if you get caught with an undersized lobster or over your lobster limit, you will be sighted by fishing game and the fine is big time. So don't even think about it. I also want to tell you that a legal-sized legal lobster is probably going to be seven years old. So that's another reason the limit on lobster is is uh, seven per person. So um, abide by the rules, but have that lobster gauge. It's also a crab gauge too. Don't keep an undersized crab or go over limit on your crab. So just keep those things in mind. Do it legal. You also have to have a lobster card in addition to your fishing license. This lobster card, you have to fill it out after every trip, the number of lobster you caught, where you caught them, and at the end of the season, you send this card back into the Department of Fish and Wildlife. It may seem like kind of a headache to do this, but just think of the lobster fishery that we have out there. It's very regulated because if there's overfishing on these lobster or they don't know how many are being harvested, it's, it's a very delicate fishery. So the fish and game really wants to monitor what's being caught out there so they can um, maintain a sustainable lobster fishery out there. Also, if you don't send that lobster card back in, next year when you go to buy another lobster card, guess what? 
it's gonna cost you an additional $20. So get the card, fill it out, have your lobster gauge, and keep everything of a legal size. I just wanna just stress how much fun it is to be out there lobster hooping. You know, I, my one son that really likes doing it with me, but I've taken my other sons out there with me, taken out their, uh, their wives with us, and um, it's just really a fun way to get some good family time, a lot of laughs. I know the time my family really liked it a lot is the time I pulled up a really nice crab. Well, when I went to pull it out, I uh, forgot to put my gloves on, and that crab decided to uh, latch on to me with his claws, and uh, man, that hurt. But they had a good laugh out of it. So anyhow, I just want to tell you, this is an option that we have during those winter months. Try some lobster hooping. We've got so much of it right here in our own backyard. Well, everybody, I'd like to go into my recipe for tonight, and you'll never guess what it is. I've got a lobster recipe. Now, there's a lot of different ways you can uh, cook your lobster, but I always find the simplest recipe for me is one of the best ones out there. Another thing to remember is when it comes to lobster, the f you want to use the freshest, not the frozenest most one. Lobster, they do deteriorate really fast, and if you got the option of, of having it while it's still fresh, do that. Take care of it and have your lobster fresh. Okay, my recipe tonight, it's really an easy one. Basically, you want to get your lobster, the best way, well, you got to prep it. First of all, what you do is you want to pull the tail off. All it takes is, you know, grab the, the main body of the lobster, give the tail a twist, and pull it off. The next part you want to do, it's uh, not real pleasant, but um, you want to pull off one of the lobster's antenna. Now, these antenna, they're real coarse and going one direction. Well, what you want to do is get that antenna and get the anal opening of the lobster, stick that antenna up there, give it a real roto-rooter, you know, the smooth side in, and then you pull it where the coarse side is coming out. In that anal cavity, there's some stuff in there you don't want to eat, but if you do this with the antenna, it'll be really good meat for you to eat. Okay, after you've done that, I like to get the lobster and cut the shell open on the top side of the shell, then cut the lobster meat right down the middle so you can fold it right in half, kind of like a butterfly there. I like to uh, brush that meat with some olive oil, sprinkle some garlic on it. Next thing, it goes right onto the grill. Now, we don't want to overcook it, but just keep it on the grill long enough to put some grill marks on it. I like to maybe rotate it one time to give it a nice cross-grilled look to it. So, anyhow, once it's almost cooked almost all the way over, I like to turn it over and give it a little bit of time on the flip side. That would be the shell side. I like to baste it once again, a little bit more olive oil, maybe a little bit of basil on it, and I do like my garlic, so maybe a little bit more garlic. But once it starts to look a little bit translucent, your lobster is done. I like to put it on a plate, some nice cut tomatoes beside it, some avocado, and uh, maybe a little fried rice, a little garnishment on the side, and you've got yourself quite a dinner there. One tip, if you have any leftovers, which um, I can tell you now, I never have leftovers, on, well, maybe a couple times leftovers on lobster. Get those uh, lobster leftovers, and the next morning, make yourself a lobster omelet. It'll be a great breakfast for you. Okay, I'd like to give you my boating tip for the night here. Um, one thing, problem that we kind of have with boats, especially during the winter months when you're not using them as much, is a deterioration of your fuel. As you know, gasoline is going to deteriorate naturally anyway, so I always like to use a fuel stabilizer in it for any fuel that may be sitting there for very long. 
But we have an additional problem that can be very serious with your fuel. As you know, all California fuel now has ethanol in it. Ethanol in gasoline is almost like putting poison into your boat. What the ethanol does, ethanol, it's alcohol, it attracts water and it will bring water into your fuel system. As you know, your uh, boat tank is gonna vent to the outside, so ethanol fuel in there, it's gonna draw any water or condensation into your fuel. Also, this ethanol, when it goes through your system, it will deteriorate your seals in your boat fuel system. These are real serious problems. So the best thing we can do is use that fuel up as fast as we can so it doesn't sit in there too long. But also there are some really good products on the market out there that are ethanol specific that will keep the ethanol from drawing the water in. So this can be a very serious problem out there. Use fuel stabilizers if your boat's gonna sit for long, but you definitely wanna use a fuel stabilizer that's ethanol specific to solve that ethanol problem. I've enjoyed bringing the show to you tonight, kind of changing gears a little bit, talking about lobster hooping. You know, it is, it is a real kick to go out and hoop it up. So if you don't have your own boat, kayak, or don't want to go out and pier to do it, remember, there are local landings that will take you out on the boat. But this is a night fishing thing you do. If you go out on one of those um, sport boats, you're going to leave at 7, probably get in about 1 in the morning. So keep that in mind. And our lobster season does end here this month. So it's just something to keep in the back of your mind for next season. So anyhow, as we wrap up this show, I've, I've enjoyed being here with you. Remember, you can contact us at programming at 963 koyt.org like to hear from you and you know if you've got a fishing story you'd like to talk about you can come in and join me you can also contact us at 763-5698 so until the next show enjoyed being with you and let's get together sometime so we can cast away